Have you ever noticed that there's a gap between who you are and who Jesus is? Like there's a gap, right? I mean, when you start comparing yourself to Jesus, you start comparing yourself to someone who's perfect, right? You start comparing yourself to someone who's never sinned, who never gave into temptation, who served others selflessly, who even offered forgiveness to those who were murdering him. Like there's a gap. Look at your neighbor and say, there's a gap, right? There's a gap between you and Jesus. His standard is so much higher. Like when you look at his righteousness and his goodness and his holiness, you realize there's a gap. The Bible puts it this way in Romans 3 verse 23. It says, for everyone has sinned. And we all fall short. Look at someone and say, I fall short. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We all fall short of that glorious standard because we've all sinned. Now, last week we saw that something that the Holy Spirit actually wants to do in our lives is He wants to close that gap between who we are and who Jesus is. He wants to make you more like Jesus. Part of the Holy Spirit's work in your life is going to be to change you, to transform you, to make you a little bit different, to make you more like Jesus. And this, by the way, this is right in line with what the Holy Spirit does. This is so typical of the Holy Spirit. He so often transforms. He loves to change things. I mean, just look at creation. Look at the world around us. Right, we see the Holy Spirit doing this in the creation story. Let me remind you that the full Godhead was part of creation. We know the Trinity consists of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all of them were involved in creation. But did you know that it's the Holy Spirit who's the first person to be mentioned on his own? The first person to be singled out of the Trinity is the Spirit of God. Let's go there. Right in the beginning, the opening pages of your Bible in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it tells us this. In the beginning, God, which is God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless. Everyone say formless. It was empty. Everyone say empty. And it was dark. Everyone say dark. Darkness covered the deep waters. And who was hovering? We get told the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. This is an epic scene, by the way. The Spirit hovering over something that is formless and something that is empty and something that is dark. And what do we see as we continue to read that chapter in Genesis 1? What do we see the Holy Spirit doing? Well, we see Him transforming that thing that was formless and empty and dark. And now instead of formlessness, He brings structure and He brings shape. And instead of emptiness, He brings life. He fills that thing with life, with animals and insects and birds and reptiles and people. And then instead of darkness, he fills it with light. This is right up the Holy Spirit's alley. He loves to do this. He loves to transform things that are empty and formless and dark. He still does it today. Because you know what else is formless and empty and dark? We are. 
We are. Before we find God, we are. And the Holy Spirit, He's hovering over us, waiting for us to accept the gift of Jesus. And when we do, He does the same thing He did at creation. He brings form into our formlessness, and He starts to shape us into the image of Jesus. And He brings fullness where we empty, that longing and that emptiness in our soul. He brings a fullness, and He fills us with the life of God. And then He expels the darkness in us, all the sin and wickedness and evil, and He expels it out of us with the glorious light of God. What the Holy Spirit did at creation, He wants to do in us. You see, He wants to bridge the gap. He wants to close the gap. He doesn't want to make you more like you. He wants to make you more like Jesus. He wants to transform you like He did at creation. He wants to reform you, remake you, make you a new creation. This is a work He does. We know that the Holy Spirit is a divine person who changes us. And this is such good news because we're in, we're in desperate need of changing. Tell your neighbor, you're in need of changing. We're, 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 guys, we're desperately in need of changing. And the Holy Spirit promises to change us. How does He change us? What does He do? He's making us more like Jesus. He's bridging that gap between you and Jesus. Day by day, week by week, Month by month, year by year, he's bringing us up to the standard of Jesus. And we see how this looks in our life. The fruit of this activity in Galatians 5, to 23, says, but the Holy Spirit produces. Who produces it? Tell your neighbor, you're not the producer. Okay, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. But let me remind you, as we did last week, if we want more of these things, we don't get more of these things by focusing on the fruit. We don't get it by saying, I want to be more loving. Okay, be more loving. No, it's not. we don't get this by focusing on the fruit. We get it by focusing on the on the roots, right, as we absorb this. In other words, as I spend time with the Holy Spirit, as I absorb His Word, as I absorb His love, as I absorb His presence, as I pull that into my life, naturally, the natural byproduct is He makes me more loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle and self-controlled. This is the byproduct, the natural byproduct of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. So we hang out with Him. We spend time with Him so that He can influence us, so He can change us, so that He can rub off on us, so that His opinions and His spirit and His attitude towards life changes my spirit and my opinions and my attitude towards life. And as we do that, the fruit of the Spirit starts to grow in us. So we're going to spend some weeks now looking at this fruit, and we want to be asking the question, what, what root system do I need to develop in order to produce that fruit in my life? Like, what should I be doing with my roots in order to develop that fruit? And the first fruit of the Spirit that He wants to grow in you is love. Everyone say love. Love. Now, 
with all of these fruit, you're going to discover that there is a version of this that you were actually born with. There is a version of this that you can naturally give out, that you're born to give. There is a human kind of love that can be easy for you. There's a human kind of love that can be natural for you. There's a human love. But it's totally different from what the Spirit wants to grow in you. In fact, in John 3 verse 6, we're told that flesh gives birth to flesh. So the only emotions you can naturally, in your own will, the only emotions you can naturally give birth to are the emotions of the flesh. But it tells us that the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. In other words, what the Spirit wants to grow in you is made of completely different stuff. It's not the same at all. It's not even the same substance. It's not even in the same category. What the Spirit wants to grow in you is completely different to the love that you naturally give. So let's look at the difference, shall we? What does the love you naturally give look like? And then what does the love the Spirit wants to grow in you look like? Let's start with your natural love. What does human love look like? Human love is a little bit like this. You're in a relationship with someone, and this is the unwritten rule of human love. I will love you as long as you love me back. This is the unwritten rule of all human love. This is the only love you can produce. This is what's born of the flesh. I will hold up my part of this bargain as long as you holding up your part of this bargain. I will be faithful and kind and loyal and loving as long as you are faithful and kind and loyal and loving. But when I don't get that back, when instead I get from you harshness, unkindness, hate, anger, abuse, bitterness, lies, theft, rejection, Oh, man, when I get that from you, ha, my human love can't stand that. In fact, if you are in a relationship and the only thing in your relationship is human love, you're left with one of two choices. See, when you are in a relationship and the other person is hurting you instead of loving you, well, this is where we use our love either as a reward or a weapon. You see, when we love as human beings, we often give our love as a reward for good behavior. Well done. You're treating me well, so I will love you well. So my love is a reward. Hey, you've been so good to me, so now I'm just going to reward you with my love and my attention and my kindness. Or we use our love as a punishment. Now, there's two ways we can punish people with our love. This is how you were born, by the way. No one's blaming you. This is how all humans love. You can punish someone permanently. Everyone say permanently. That means I'm sick and tired of you not doing your part. I'm sick and tired right now. I'm drawing a line in the sand, and I am breaking this relationship because you have gone too far. You've been too unloving. You have too consistently been unfaithful. You've been too harsh, you've done too much, I'm, so I can choose as a punishment 
I'm going to break off this relationship, right? So I'm going to exit the WhatsApp group and block you in my contacts and unfriend you on Facebook. And I'm going to take you to court and I'm just going to do everything I can. It's a, we're done. And we're like, oh, I don't need this kind of toxicity in my life. And you post on Instagram and don't, don't surround yourself with people who drain you, you know, make sure. It's like, whoa, you're on a crusade. Hope they see it somehow, you know. We're done. Or the other thing we do, if we don't want to punish them permanently, then we punish them temporarily. Everyone say temporarily. You know, the husband that doesn't talk to his wife for a whole week because he's unimpressed with her performance as a wife. The person who withholds sex from the marriage because they're unimpressed with the performance of their spouse. The person who becomes short in their feedback. They become distant. They want you to know that they're irritated. They want you to know that they're upset. And so they become a little bit distant. And you've got to like really work. And they're like, ah, they're going to cancel on the coffee. And they're not going to come to the event because you're there now. Human love. We all love like this. You do. I do. This is a love that we were born with. It's the only love we can produce. Right? This is what's born of the flesh is flesh. And so we see people loving like this all the time. We're going to love them as long as they love us back. In fact, the problem is that in every relationship you have, at some point, the person doesn't honor their side of the deal. At some point, they probably are going to reject you, disappoint you, irritate you, offend you, take you for granted. And so what we end up with is a lot of people in our lives who hurt us deeply. And I would say that every one of us have been very deeply hurt by at least one person. Actually, I want you to take a moment right now, and I want you to think. I want you to think of their name and their face. I want you to think about the person in your life that's hurt you the most. Who's hurt you the most? That abuser, that rapist, that murderer, that thief, that ex, that friend, that gossiper, that work colleague, that molester, like who, who's that person, guys, that's hurt you the most? Okay, think of their name and face. I want you to hold that there for a while. It is natural for you when you think of that person to say, I want as much distance from them as possible. It is natural. That's what human love does. It is natural if you bring hurt for you to say, well, then you're out of my life. That's what human love does. That is a kind of love that is birthed naturally by your spirit. No one's blaming you for loving that way. We all do, okay? But as the Holy Spirit starts to change you, He gives you a different kind of love. Everyone say a different kind of love. And guys, this love, can I tell you, I want to just disclaim this right from the beginning. It's crazy. This love is cuckoos. This love is bonkers. This love, if you were to look at someone loving like this, you would think they were off the you would think they were mentally unwell. This love is not normal. Look at someone and say, it ain't normal. This is not a normal kind of love. You see, the love we were born with that's produced by your flesh is incredibly selfish. Because it's all about you and how you feel, right? And oh, I'm offended. Oh, I'm hurt. So I stop loving because it's just about me, 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 me. <laughs> but the, 
the love the Holy Spirit gives, guys, let me tell you how crazy it is. The, the Bible calls it agape love. Everyone say agape. You want to hear how crazy it is? This is the kind of love, get this, that has no conditions. What? You, you know how foreign that is to us as humans? Like what? In other words, I'm deciding to love you no matter what you do to me. I will love you no matter what you say. I will love you no matter how you treat me. I will love you no matter who you become. My love for you is independent of your behavior, and I don't use it as a reward for good behavior, and I don't use it as a punishment for bad behavior. My love for you is a decision, and it's selfless, and it's not because of you. It's because of the Spirit in me. I'm not loving you because you've earned it, and you're performing well as a friend. You're performing well as a spouse or a child. No, 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 no. It's a love without condition. And I know you listening and you're like, oh, but Ryan, like, what if they hurt me? No, no conditions. No, but what if they stole from me? No conditions. No, but what if they, what if they abused me? No conditions. No, 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 but what if they lied? You know, if people lie to me once, we're done. We're done. No, no, no. No conditions. But what if they reject me? What if they rape me? What if they hurt me? What? No, no conditions. What if they murder someone? Else? It's crazy, guys. It's crazy love, the kind of love the Spirit grows in us. Your spirit, your, your flesh can't birth this. You can't make this happen. You can't, it's so far removed from how we're naturally built you can't fabricate this. Your, your flesh can't give birth to this. And yet, it, this kind of love is the cornerstone of our faith. This is what Jesus taught on almost more than anything else. This is what Jesus said would set us apart, would mark us as Christians. He teaches about this again and again. It's a foundational, fundamental part of our faith. One of the places, let me just bring up one, is Luke 6 from verse 32. If you love only those who love you, big deal. <laughs> Why should you get any credit for that? Guys, everyone does that. Even sinners love those who love them. That's the love we're born with. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, big deal. Why should you get credit for that? Even sinners do that much. If you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners will lend to others for a full return. No, 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 guys. That kind of love, that bargaining, transactional love is just love of your flesh. You get no credit for being good to all the people who are already good to you. Okay. Then he goes, he transitions in verse 35. He says, but you love your enemies. Okay, now we, oh, love your enemies. Do good to them. Not only should you love them from afar and sitting at your home and you're saying, you know, I don't really have anything against them anymore. No, no, no. Love them and then you've got to show them you love them. Do good to them. And then he gets involved with your money. Woo! And he says, lend to them. Who? To your enemies. Without expecting anything in return. Okay, I did warn you, this is crazy love. This is illogical love. 
You've got to love them, do good to them, give them money without expecting it to be repaid. It says, then your reward. Everyone say, then. Only then, guys. Not when you love all those who are easy to love and love all those who love you. You get no reward for that. Everyone does that. That's human love. But if you can love your enemies, do good to those people, give them money and don't expect it back, then For God is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. That is what this fruit looks like. You are unable to grow that yourself. This is a fruit that is grown by the Spirit of God, not by you. Okay, now. All we've been doing up to now is focusing on the fruit. Everyone say, don't focus on the fruit. Focus on the? Okay, so let's focus on the roots. We, we know what the fruit looks like, but we're not going to get this by just trying to control ourselves and say, be more loving, be more loving, be more loving, because you can't birth this. It's made of a different stuff that only the Spirit can birth in you. Okay, so let's look at the root system. I want you to, again, think of the person who's hurt you the most. Who is it? If you are unable to do good to that person, if you are unable to forgive them and to love them and to give them money if they need, like if you are unable to do good to them, that means you've got some root changing to do. And Jesus tells us how to do it. He alludes to this at the end of, Matthew, of Luke chapter 6. Let's put it back up there again. Luke chapter 6. Let's go from verse 35. He actually says that God is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. So you must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. In other words, Jesus is saying that your ability to love your enemy comes from your ability to understand just how much God loves you. Your ability to forgive your enemy is going to come from your understanding by getting your roots into this truth of just how much God has forgiven you, of just how much debt God had against you that he wrote off, of just how much kindness God has shown towards you, even though you were wicked and unfaithful and unkind to him. You see, God loves us with the same agape love. In other words, his love to you has no conditions. Did you know that? Now, this doesn't mean God approves of everything you do doesn't validate your sin or your bad choices. But in spite of your sin and bad choices, God loves you. His, his love for you is not a weapon. It's not a reward. It's a decision He's going to give you. He can't love you more than He does right now. And so Jesus says, if you want to love your enemies in this way, remember the Father's love for you. And in fact, in Matthew 18, He tells a parable right in line with this. In Matthew 18, we find Jesus telling a parable of a servant who owed the king millions of rands. He goes to the king and says, King, I'm way in over my head. I, I can't pay this back. The king wants to throw him in jail. The servant gets on his knees. He's like, please, king, please don't. Please, I have a family. And eventually the king is moved with compassion, and so he writes off all the debt, millions of dollars. Now, Jesus is making it clear that in this story, 
you and I are that servant. Look at someone and say, you're the servant. Okay, in other words, if God had to stack up all the debt you have against Him, it would be in the millions. If God had to bring up all of your sin, all of your wickedness against Him, all of your disobedience, all of your unfaithfulness, all of your unwillingness, all of your deceit, all of your excuses, all of your wickedness, if he had to stack that up, the debt that you have against God is way too big for you to pay because you were born with this sinful nature. And so the king has graciously written off our debt, the millions that we owe God, he's written it off. Jesus goes on with the story to say the same servant who's just been forgiven millions by the king, he goes home. And on his way home, guess who he bumps into? He bumps into someone who owes him thousands. Now, this is how you would think it would play out, right? Because a guy who owes him thousands can't pay him back. He doesn't have the money. So you would think this guy would be like, hey, dude, don't worry. I have just been forgiven millions. Like, we're good. Like, you, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to release you of that debt. Do you have any idea how much I owe the king? And he just... He wiped it all out. Yeah, go for it. You're free, released. But the servant doesn't do that, Jesus says. Instead, the servant throws this guy in jail because he couldn't pay him back the thousands. The king finds out about this, and the king is not impressed, to say the least. In fact, the king says this in Matthew 18, verse 32. Then the master called the servant in. You know what he says to him? You wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. So shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then just in case you weren't sure if that was really referring to you, Jesus says, this is how my father will treat each of you, unless, everyone say unless, unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Church, whatever debt someone has against you, whatever they've done to you, it is nothing compared to the debt that God had to write off against you. You have lost your right to be offended. You have lost your right to be unforgiving. You have lost your right to be bitter and hateful. You have no right anymore. Tell your neighbor, you've lost your rights. <laughs> Scripture makes this clear. 1 John chapter 4.20, if someone says, I love God, but then hates a fellow believer, well, that person's a liar. For if we don't love people who we can't see, how on earth can we love God who we cannot see? And so God forgives you all of your debt, and then He commands you to go do the same. It's not, he's not saying, hey, if you feel like it, if you're in the mood. No, 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 it's command. In other words, we don't do this because we feel like it. We don't do this because our flesh is birthing the want. No, your flesh will never birth this. In your flesh, you might never want to love your enemy. In your flesh, you might never want to do good to them. In your flesh, you might never want to show them kindness. So you don't do it because your flesh 
doesn't want to birth it. We do this because we understand as we absorb and dwell on the incredible love of God and the massive death that He's released me from, as I absorb that truth, what starts to happen is I look at the offenses around me and I realize, you know what? I can probably let that one go. If God can forgive me this much, I, I can let that go. I can, I can show them love. If, if God can forgive me of my wickedness and my sin and my unfaithfulness, wow. Okay, when I start to absorb that, tr- that, that fruit, I become loving because He loved me first. And so for some of you, it's time for a root change. You think you have the right to be offended and hurt and upset. You have no right. God has forgiven a much greater debt against you. And so we don't want to get to the end of our lives and hear the master say, how could you? Look at your name and say, don't risk it. Listen, don't risk it, guys. You don't want the master to talk to you like that at the end. No. We don't want to risk it. So we, we've got to get our heads around the We've got to understand how God loves us so that we can now love others the same way. We've got to understand the great debt He's forgiven us for. You know, last weekend I went to a conference and I heard a pastor speaking about someone who tried to kill him. There was an assassination attempt on his life. Someone at close range shot him five times. One of the bullets hit his wife. He died at first. God miraculously restored his health. Amazing story. But he was in a coma for three months in the hospital. He wakes up from the coma. He's trying to understand what's happened in his life. Devastated. His wife made it. He's trying to talk to God, and he realizes there's distance. He's feeling, he's very sensitive to the work of the Spirit. He's feeling like as he prays, like he's just not connecting with God like he should. And so weeks go by, and eventually he says, God, what's going on? I feel like you're far. I need you so much now. My life's fallen apart. I need you so badly. But what's going on? Why do you feel like you're so far away? And he felt God say to him, it's because you haven't forgiven your assassins. You haven't forgiven them. God gave him this picture of his life being a ladder. And every year of his life was a step. He was 45 years old. God looked at him and said, You're going to stay 45 years old. You'll be stuck in this offense. Until you die, you're going to stay this age. Unless you release some of the offense, you can continue to grow. Listen, he was only stuck for three months. But this is what offense does. It makes you, it stunts you spiritually. Makes you stuck. Some of you, you're still expressing childish behavior. You know why? Because you're still stuck in the things that happened to you as a kid. Some of you are still acting out like rebellious teenagers. You know why? Because you're still stuck in those things that happened to you as a teenager. Some of you have been stuck in your offense for years. And God wants to give you freedom. Christ wants to give you freedom. And the freedom lies in the obedience to let it go, to make the decision to say, God, if you have forgiven me so much, how can I not forgive others? If you have released me of so much, How can I not do the same? And so as you absorb that truth, it's all about the roots, church. As you absorb that truth, you're going to find yourself, man, it's just going to be easier to love, easier to forgive, easier to let it go. But that's not the only fruit he wants to develop in you. The other one is joy. Everyone say joy. 
joy. The Greek word there is chara. Now, again, there is a type of joy your flesh can produce. It's very different to the type of joy your spirit wants to produce. The type of joy your flesh wants to produce, it's, it's what we call circumstantial joy. Everyone say circumstantial joy. This is the only joy you can produce by yourself. Some people call it happiness, right? It means I'm getting joy from my circumstances. My circumstances are good, so now I feel joyful. Right, this is the only joy you can produce by yourself. And so this is the kick we get when we get the girl. Like this is the, the kick we get when we're driving off the showroom floor with our new car, right? This is the kick we get when we see our bride at the end of the aisle, when we see the face of our child for the first time, when we enjoy a really great movie, when we listen to our favorite song, when we see beautiful artwork, right? This is the kick we get, the joy. Now, the problem is because your joy is linked, it's attached to your circumstances, your joy doesn't last long because guess what? Your circumstances change all the time. And so you're, you, have the, you don't have the ability to stay joyful because your circumstances don't have the ability to stay the same. And so just as you experience one joyful thing, <laughs> 10 bad things happen. And your joy is robbed. That's the kind of joy your spirit, your, your flesh gives birth to. But there is a different type of joy that the Spirit of God wants to grow in you. He wants to grow in you, charter. That is a joy divorced from circumstance. A joy separate from circumstance. We read about this so much, I'm going to show you three quick examples. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6. So you received the message with joy that the Holy Spirit, or from the Holy Spirit, in spite, everyone say in spite, in spite of the severe sufferings, it brought you. And in this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. Philippians 4 verse 4. Always, everyone say always. Always, always be full of the joy of the Lord. And I say it again, rejoice. James 1 verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind, any kind, any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. joy. Okay, so clearly, this type of joy has nothing to do with my circumstances. When my circumstances change, for better or worse, I can still experience the chada. I can still experience the joy of the Spirit. Now, we don't want to focus on the fruit. What do we want to focus on? In other words, there's an aspect of the Holy Spirit that I need to dwell on, that I need to absorb, so that no matter what's happening in my circumstances, I can still experience joy. And what is that? Well, here's the beautiful truth. Even though your circumstances change, your spiritual circumstances haven't. Even though your physical circumstances have changed, if you can start dwelling on the fact that your spiritual circumstances haven't changed, guess what? You get a stability in your joy. Now, even when you're fighting with your wife, even when you, your friend is sick, even when you're losing your job, guess what? Your circumstances have changed, but you start to dwell and absorb on the truth that, hey, you know, spiritually... Nothing's changed. 
my position with God hasn't changed. Guys, sometimes you're going to have a week like I had. I had a terrible week. I'll give you some of the highlights. It's not even going to be everything. And this is on top of just like living in Woodbank with all the water and power issues, right? My mother was going up the steps with a pot of hot water and she tripped. And so she has first and second degree burns right from her shoulder to her hand. On top of that, uh, my car started giving me issues. That's fun. And then on Tuesday, I was attacked and I was pepper sprayed in the face, uh, which can I just tell you, if you've been pepper sprayed, that was pain. That, that, that was some serious pain. And then we were doing a, a business project that just fell to pieces and didn't go according to plan. And then to top it all off, a very beloved and close immediate family member tried to commit suicide. And just right now, now I see you. So there's a lot of things the devil was trying to touch this week. There's a lot of things he could get to, but you know what he could not get to? Is the fact that I stand here today saved. And I stand here today forgiven. You know what he could not touch? He cannot touch the fact that God loves me and is celebrating over me, that I have the presence of God with me, that I have the power of God in me. Try as he might, he can't touch that. And I can't tell you, I cannot wait to come to an encounter tonight because I'm gonna rejoice before God till my bones hurt because I still have a reason to celebrate. I still have a reason to rejoice. He couldn't touch any of that and try as he may. And I, I just picture the devil being so irritated with me because he's tried so hard. I just imagine him using all these resources and all these demon staff meetings and all this planning, right? And he's been scheming and he's been planning and he wants to get me down and he wants to get me in the dips and all his plans, he tries them all. And when he looks at me, I'm rejoicing before the Lord because my spiritual circumstances have not changed a second. They haven't changed. And I can, I can lose everything in this world and I still have everything I need in Christ. The devil cannot touch it, church. And so there is a peace that the Spirit wants to grow in you that is not born from your flesh, but it's born from the Spirit. There's a joy he wants to deposit in your heart. He wants to give you a reason to celebrate even in the storm, even when life feels crazy. You always have a reason. And that brings us to the last fruit, the fruit of peace. Everyone say peace. The fruit of peace is so much like the fruit of joy. The only peace we can birth from our flesh is a peace that's based on circumstance. Right, because I have no conflict, I'm at peace. Because I have no worries and stress, I'm at peace. Because I'm not in danger, I'm at peace. That's the only peace you can birth within yourself. But there is a peace that the Spirit wants to birth in you that is divorced again from your circumstances. In fact, it is above even what you can understand. We read about this in Philippians 4 verse 7. It says, a peace of God which transcends all understanding. It transcends your understanding. Will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Listen, there is a peace that comes not because of logic, not because of your understanding, not because things make sense. There's actually a peace that comes when nothing makes sense. When you're busy saying to God, God, I don't understand. Now you're a candidate for the peace 
When you look at your situation and say, God, in my understanding, I can't see a way out this debt. Now you're a candidate for the peace. When you look at your situation and say, God, in my understanding, I can't fix this marriage. God, in my understanding, I can't get out of this mess. Now you are a candidate for the peace of God because His peace trumps your understanding. And so how do we get it? That's what the fruit looks like. I have peace at all times in the middle of my storm. How do I get it? I focus on the fruit. In other words, there's an aspect of God that I need to press into to grow the fruit of peace. What is it? Well, guys, no matter how out of control your life is, God has not lost control. And you need to realize as you press and you absorb this truth that my God is still on the throne that my God is still sovereign, that my God is still good, that my God is still for me and not against me, that greater is he in me than he that's in the world, so no weapon formed against me will prosper, and the devil can try, and he's gonna try, but I tell you, whatever he plans for my harm, God is gonna turn it around and work it out for my good, and so I focus on that, I absorb that, who God is, and instead of focusing on the size of my issues, I focus on the size of my God. And when I do, oh my word, can I tell you, the peace of God that transcends all my understanding and all the ways life isn't making sense right now, I get the peace of God. It's a fruit, the spirit, not from focusing on the fruit, not by saying I need to be more peaceful. No, no, no. By focusing, absorb who God is. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. He wants to change you. He wants to close the gap between who you are today and the Jesus version of you. But he's only going to do this if you absorb him, absorb his character and his nature. Focus on the things of God. Focus on his word. The reality is, church, you've lost your right to hate. You have lost your right to be unforgiving. You have lost your right to be offended and bitter and twisted. Whatever it is that person did to you, it might look big in your eyes, but it's only thousands compared to the millions God has already forgiven you of. You have lost your right to make despair your friend. As Christians, we've lost our right to throw ourselves pity parties. You have lost the right to be crippled by anxiety. You know why? Because all of those things are just birthed by the flesh, but you have a spirit living in you who wants to birth in you things of the spirit. He wants to birth in you love, agape. He wants to birth in you joy. He wants to birth in you peace. And it will come if you focus on him, if you get your roots deep in him. Some of you need to change your focus today. You need to change what you're keeping, dwelling your mind on. You, you, you've got to get your roots into the Spirit of God, and He will change you. I want to pray for you. Can you close your eyes? Holy Spirit, thank you today for your presence. Thank you that you change us. Thank you that you mold us. Thank you that you make us more like Jesus. Because we can't do that work. We're not able to, Lord.
Maybe you're struggling today with hate and bitterness and unforgiveness and despair and depression and anxiety and worry. Well, if that's you today, you need to change your focus. You need to get your roots into the truth. Maybe you just want to pray right now. Just Holy Spirit, change my focus. Holy Spirit, change our focus. May we absorb you more. May your truth become our truth. May your thoughts become our thoughts. May your ways become our ways. God, we want to be people who are so loving and we just never get offended. That we can love our enemies and do good to them. God, we want to be people so full of joy. In the middle of theft and abuse and loss and death, we want to have joy. God, we want to be people full of your peace. In the middle of lack and stress and less, we want your peace. I pray the love and joy and peace of God into this room. Develop that fruit in our lives as we focus on you. I pray that now in the name of Jesus.